You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Future of Pharmacy Podcast, featuring the innovators transforming medication management. The Future of Pharmacy Podcast is brought to you by OmniCell. Now here's our host, Ken Perez. Hi everyone, I'm Ken Perez. Thanks for joining us. Today we have a very enlightening topic to discuss, the matter of medication distribution models. Over a number of years, health system pharmacy has evolved from a profession with its principal focus on medication product distribution to a profession with an expanded role in delivering clinically oriented patient care services. And rightly so, pharmacists are well-trained and well-positioned to fill these patient-facing roles. But the ability to provide this care also assumes that central pharmacies are getting the fundamentals right when it comes to medication distribution. Today, we'll talk with two pharmacy leaders who recently reassessed their medication distribution models and followed very different paths forward. We're joined by Rich Artimowitz, Director of Pharmacy Services and Administrative Director of Sleep and Wound Services for Cape Regional Medical Center in Cape May, New Jersey. Welcome to the program, Rich. Thanks, Ken. Looking forward to the discussion. Great to have you. And we also have Donna Yao, Director of Pharmacy for St. Luke's University Hospital in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Donna, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Ken. I'm happy to be here today and share with you our experiences with our somewhat recent change in distribution models. Terrific. Medication distribution is a topic that has far-reaching implications, but often is overlooked. Let's get started by learning more about each of you and your respective pharmacy organizations. Donna, please provide for our audience a brief overview of St. Luke's University Hospital and the pharmacy services that you provide. Sure. Uh, St. Luke's University Health Network is a fully integrated regional network that consists of 12 hospitals, and we have more than 300 off-site locations serving residents throughout northeastern Pennsylvania and several counties in New Jersey. We're a teaching hospital. In fact, we have the region's only medical school. And fun fact, we also have the oldest continuously operating nursing school in the United States. We are located in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. We are licensed as a 400-bed community hospitals, and we have specialties ranging from open-heart surgery to cancer care, neurosciences, and orthopedics. Our campus, the Bethlehem campus, is the tertiary referral center for our network. We're an adult level one trauma center, and we also recently celebrated our one-year anniversary for our newest unit, the PICU, the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit. Our inpatient pharmacy consists of over 70 employees. That includes our clinical team and our pharmacy residents. We manage over 80 automated dispensing cabinets throughout the hospital. We also have a satellite pharmacy in our infusion center. Our annual drug budget is about $30 million per year. Our typical average daily census runs somewhere in the 300s. Recently, we've been holding steady at about 320. We do dispense about 30,000 doses per day. And the initiatives that our staff are most recently involved with are a work-from-home pilot for our pharmacists, medication reconciliation, and as always, we're focused on patient satisfaction and readmissions. Well, thanks, Donna. That's terrific. Rich, likewise, please share an overview of Cape Regional Medical Center and the pharmacy services that your organization provides. Okay, we're, we're a little different than St. Luke's. We're, uh, we're a lot smaller. 
Cape Regional Health System is the, the only health system located in Cape May County. Cape May County, New Jersey is a resort area with a year-round population of about 70,000 people. We balloon up to almost a million people in the summer when uh, all the tourists are here in Stone Harbor, Cape May, and Avalon, and Wildwood. In some ways, we're two different hospitals depending on the time of year. But anyway, the health system is made up of Cape Regional Medical Center, which is our acute care hospital. We're licensed for 242 beds, but nowadays we're about a 90-bed hospital, although our census has been running over 100 this summer. So yeah, we've been, we've been quite busy. We're a general acute care community hospital. We, we have a 16-bed ICU, a 48-bed telemetry unit. We do inpatient dialysis and continuous renal replacement. We have a busy interventional radiology lab. And our, our ER sees about 45,000 visits a year. And many of them, almost 20,000 of them, happen between Memorial Day and Labor Day. Our volume can be very seasonal. And then the health system also has three urgent care centers throughout the county and seven primary care offices and seven more specialty offices. So the health system has done well to try to maintain ourselves here in the county. So as, as far as the pharmacy services go, we are a 24-7 hospital. We have an annual drug budget of almost $6 million. And a lot of that is through our infusion therapy room. We have a freestanding ambulatory surgery center that we just built, and we take care of that place too. We have, I think, 15 automated dispensing cabinets now and about 10 anesthesia cabinets that we maintain. Um, and as far as pharmacy initiatives, like Donna said, medication reconciliation is, is way up there. And you know, one of our organizational commitments now is toward high reliability. Some of the things that we've done recently with our distribution system help complement that. Well, thanks, Rich. It's clear that both of your institutions have made significant impact on your communities and you serve your communities in so many different ways. Now, introducing today's topic, we've mentioned medication distribution models, and there are a variety of different models and variations for each of them. Today's discussion is not about models per se, but about the process that your organizations followed in selecting medication distribution methods going forward. So Donna, you went through a model analysis just a couple of years ago. Could you talk about your previous state and the challenges you faced that prompted you to reevaluate medication distribution? Sure. Just a little over three years ago, our pharmacy dispensing model was primarily a cart fill model. And so for those who aren't familiar with the cart fill model, what we were doing was producing a daily cart fill that contained a 24-hour supply of patient-specific medications for each patient in the hospital. We would then deliver these medications to their individual medication server boxes that were located right side of the patient's room. So our department had a fair amount of automation at the time, so we had a pharmacy robot. That robot has since been sunsetted, but we were using that robot at the time for first doses and to fill this 24-hour cart fill for our patients. We also had a medication carousel, which we used really to manage our drug inventory, and we did our automated dispensing cabinet refills through the med carousel. We had automated dispensing cabinets, as I mentioned earlier, about 80 of them. What we were using the cabinets for were to dispense stat medications, PRN medications, and controlled substances. The biggest challenges that we faced with our model at the time were really significant medication delays. Nursing had to wait for a pharmacy to verify the orders, uh, pick the medications, have them checked, and sent them to the unit. For us, it was a very labor-intensive process. 
between the time that it, the technician spent filling all of the medications, pharmacists had to check the medications. So we were really looking to try to make an impact with the amount of labor that we were um, spending doing these functions. Also, there was a significant cost associated with our model. The time spent packaging medications to be robot ready or purchasing robot ready medications or just the packaging supplies to get them ready, um, we estimated that cost to be a little over $200,000 a year. And of course, all the time that we spent delivering medications also added up quickly. So, Rich, were you experiencing similar challenges to Donna in terms of these medication delays and costs and time associated with the various processes? Well, we have a bit of a different model. So we've always been a cart fill model like Donna was describing. Probably about seven or eight years ago, we made the switch to the individual nurse servers in the medication rooms. So we were having issues with missing medications when we were delivering the medications to an EMAR cart. And there were problems there because the nurses on E-shift didn't get the same patients as the nurses on C-shift. The medications never seemed to get transferred correctly, and we had a lot of missing medications. So that's when we worked with nursing and decided to go to a nurse server model where pharmacy would deliver the medications right to the patient's room. So when we had an opportunity to readdress our distribution system, when our old robot was being sunsetted, we met with the nursing and we gave them the option. You know, we could go to a decentralized model or we could keep the centralized model where we're delivering. And overwhelmingly, the nursing staff wanted to uh, stick with the same model. So that's where we decided that we had to replace the old robot. That's the direction we were going to go in, picking automation that would allow us to keep that distribution model. So given that decision, let's drill down a bit on that. And what were the operational and clinical implications facing pharmacy and nursing at that point in time? Well, operational implications were that we had a staffing model that was built around a carousel and robot in the central pharmacy. And we had a nursing staff that was very used to having medications at their fingertips. They were only going to the ADCs for controlled substances and maybe a floor stock here and there. So I guess culturally, too, if we were going to change models, we were looking at different workflows for nursing as well as pharmacy. And because of not wanting to change the culture and liking the results that we were getting, we decided to stick with the same model. So when we were considering this, we had to consider if we were going to continue to do a central fill, how were we going to do it? Were we going to replace the robot with a new generation robot, or were we going to go back to a manual fill, or were we going to just fill from a carousel? When we took a look at what the labor implications in pharmacy were going to be, if we didn't go with another robot, it was going to be cost prohibitive on the labor. So we came to the decision that upgrading our robot and carousel model was the thing to do. Any thoughts on that, Donna? Was it similar for you? It's very interesting to hear Rich's story because we actually were faced with many of the same problems. When we reevaluated our dispensing model based on the size of our institution and the direction that we wanted to head, we thought that we probably could do better than we were currently doing. Really thought it was time for a change. And we knew that you know, we would definitely need nursing support and have to engage nursing leadership in order to drive the change that we were hoping to make. So what we did is we proposed piloting a cartless model here at St. Luke's Bethlehem, proposed this to nursing leadership, and they initially had great concerns. Like Cape Regional, our culture, the nurses were used to having medications 
at their fingertips. That cart full was located right outside the patient's room in the nurse server boxes. And we were asking them to make a change. I think one of the differences with us, fortunately, we were kind of blessed with a golden opportunity at the time. One of our newest hospitals had just opened, the Anderson campus. And that hospital, when it opened, it opened under the premise that it was going to be a cartless hospital. So it was designed to work well that way. There were alcoves built for the automated dispensing cabinets. There was enough room so that they could have large cabinets with large inventory so nursing would be able to have most of the medications they needed in those cabinets. So what we did, it was a hard sell. Um, you know, it was going to be a change. Nursing was comfortable with what they had and really what they envisioned going to a cartless model. You know, they were picturing nurses standing at the automated dispensing cabinets waiting in line to get their medications. So we took the opportunity to work with our peers at the Anderson campus. There were a fair amount of nurses that transferred from our campus to the Anderson campus when it opened. So now all of a sudden we had nurses within the same system who had been trained and worked here years at Bethlehem, transferred to Anderson, and now we're exposed to the cartless model. So we surveyed that staff. They gave us a lot of great feedback, which we then presented to our leadership. So they went ahead and gave us the green light to pilot this cartless model on two units. And in order to make this work, we knew that there were some things that we had to have in place. We needed to have an adequate number of automated dispensing cabinets on each unit to avoid any kind of weight at the cabinet. On average, our goal was kind of to try to have each cabinet represent like 12 patients. So we didn't really want to have more than 12 patients per cabinet. Our, our units are divided into zones. So an average unit might have 36 beds. So we were looking to have three cabinets on each unit. And ideally, our ratios flex depending on what type of unit it is, you know, two to three nurses per cabinet. Critical care areas, it might be three to four nurses per cabinet. So, you know, definitely having the appropriate number of cabinets in place helped, obviously, optimizing the cabinet inventory. And while we were selling this proposal to nursing, we were also working on a search for an automation solution, knowing that our current robot was no longer going to be supported because it was being sunsetted. Donna, thanks so much for sharing all those great details about your experience. You're listening to the Future of Pharmacy podcast. I'm your host, Ken Paris, joined today by Donna Yao of St. Luke's University Hospital and Rich Artimowitz of Cape Regional Medical Center. So both of you had very similar, highly automated processes in place at the time you contemplated new models. And yet, after a thorough self-analysis, you pursued different paths going forward. Donna, could you talk about what happened after you made the model decision? How did you manage the change across your organization? We started by piloting the cartless model on two nursing units. Um, they were both med surge units. At the same time, we're reviewing, as I mentioned, our automation alternative. We had considered bringing in an additional medication carousel, also looked at bringing in a new pharmacy robot system. So at the time, we partnered with OmniCell. We were actually a beta partner on their new robotic technology, the XR2. We were anticipating that it would give us more options, allow us to do more than we could with our current robot. So we explored that option. We focused on optimizing our automated dispensing cabinet inventory. Leadership here was supportive of the change. And again, one of kind of marketed it as a cost savings initiative as well. So obviously, everybody was receptive to that. The overall impact to nursing and our patients really has been overwhelmingly positive. With our older model, you know, any new medication orders that were verified, 
nursing would have to rely on our delivery process. We were doing medication delivery rounds every hour. But again, because of the size of our hospital, it might take us half an hour to get to your unit. So nursing was doing a lot of waiting on us to deliver medications to be able to give them to their patients. They discovered once we went to this cartless model, once pharmacy verified the order, then they had immediate access to those medications in the cabinet as long as they were stocked. And for us, our average verification time for a stat order is five minutes. For a routine order, it's 12 minutes. So, you know, that's nursing waiting 12 minutes to be able to access a med as opposed to our delivery round, which could be up to an hour. So that was a big win for us, for them, and they quickly fell in love with the model. Thanks, Donna. That's tremendous. Rich, any thoughts about what Donna shared? Yeah, and I think when you take a look at how St. Luke's is built, a lot of the things that Donna brought up with delivery times, you have a 500-bed hospital, how long does it take you to make a round? Yeah, I think definitely exploring the, the decentralized model is something to look at for that size hospital. With the smaller hospital, we do have the luxury of being able to make a round pretty quickly. And one of the hospital's focuses is on employee satisfaction. So we did want to try to do as much as we can to make the nurses' lives easier. And having those medications there for them is what we thought we needed to do. Certainly in, in pharmacy, the automation helps with our satisfaction too, as opposed to having to do manual picking. So in our situation, the centralized model was a win-win for us. So Rich, let's shift the conversation to your current state. Talk about your medication distribution model and pharmacy operations today. Well, today we've upgraded our automation. So like Donna, we're on an XR2 married to a carousel. And we also um, have a feature on our XR2 called uh, an auto bagger. So the robot gives us the uh, flexibility to do fills one of two ways. We can either fill to a bin and then transfer that to you know, some kind of a delivery package, or we can fill directly to a bag that's barcoded, has the patient's name on it. So that bag gives us the flexibility to do a cart fill for individualized patients. And as I'm sure Donna is doing as well, it also helps us use the robot to do uh, fills for the ADCs. So that is a, has been a huge satisfier for the pharmacy technicians, where before we weren't able to do that with the old generation robot. So that's been a, a big time saver for us. Donna, how does your medication model look today? First, I would just comment, I agree with Rich's comment about the um, new capabilities that we have with our new XR2 robot. We are using it, like Cape Regional, to do our automated dispensing cabinet refill batches, and that's really been a huge help, um, not only with the technician pick time, but we are currently, the pharmacists are doing a random 10% check of the medications filled by XR2 as compared with a 100% check from the med carousel. So being able to trans, transition those automated cabinet refill batches through the robot has been a tremendous help both on the technician and pharmacist side. So current state, we're doing that. That's really helped a lot. We use our robot currently to fill uh, first doses, as I mentioned, the cabinet replenishment. And we obviously do have a small cart fill left that's remaining. We can't get 100% of meds that patients need into our automated dispensing cabinets. So we do run a daily cart fill every day, and that happens through XR2 as well. One of the challenges we had when we switched over to doing our cabinet replenishment through the robot was 
trying to build a schedule around everything else, restocking it, doing the cart fill, the other technician duties. So we've divided that cabinet replenishment up between all three shifts. Um, all shifts have some assignments to do. We also built that schedule around nursing med pass time. So we want to be restocking these cabinets when we're not competing with nursing for access to the cabinets. At this state now that we've transitioned to the cartless model, our nurses are able to remove about 75 to 80% of all the medications from the automated dispensing cabinets. And again, that really depends on what nursing unit it is in the patient population. For us, that's an improvement. We'd like to get closer to 85, 90% if possible. And we are upgrading our automated dispensing cabinets in January. So we're, we're hoping that transition kind of puts us closer to our ideal target. With our process now, we're able to have one centralized pharmacy technician that can run all of our automation. So, you know, they transition between the med carousel and XR2. What's helped with being able to do that is the auto packager that bags the medications for us filled out of the robot. So it's less technician interaction or interface time that's required for XR2. With uh, newer automation has been a time saver. The pharmacist used to have to check 100% of medications from med carousel. Now with the robot, we're doing a 10% random check just to ensure the quality of what the robot's picking. With the combination of our workflow change and automation, we were able to save one technician FTE. It's also freed up some pharmacist time to be able to focus on newer clinical projects, and it's really allowed us to explore other staffing models for our department. Recently, we piloted a work-from-home scenario for the, a few of our pharmacists, and that has worked out really well. And I think with our prior model, we would not have been able to do that. We've also modified our delivery schedule. So when we were a cartful hospital and we were delivering the majority of medications throughout the day for new orders, we were doing delivery rounds every 60 minutes. We were comfortable now that a large percentage of meds are accessible through the automated dispensing cabinet, we've been able to cut back our deliveries now to every 90 minutes. Well, Donna, those are substantial and far-reaching changes. Thanks for all the great quantification you provided. So looking back, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? I'm not so sure that I would do it differently, but we kind of took a big bang approach here. So not only did we decide to shift our dispensing model from cartful to cartless, but we also were bringing in automation that was a significant change for us at the same time. So I think that there's pros and cons to that. I'm not sure that I would do it differently, but there definitely were some lessons learned. Because we had so much going on at once, uh, you know, as we rolled out, we made the change to the cartless model unit by unit. So we kind of did one or two units at a time. We had a lot going on. And so we did our best to try to stock the automated dispensing cabinets with the meds that we thought made sense before we rolled out the cartless system on that unit. You know, and in hindsight, I would have liked to have been able to devote a little bit more time to do a better job with that. It became challenging. We certainly upgraded and added more meds as we rolled this out and had more time to evaluate what they really needed. So for nursing, that was challenging. One day, a particular med might be coming in the cart fill and located in the patient medication server box. The next day we've made changes to the automated dispensing cabinets and now all of a sudden nursing is expected to go to the cabinet for the med. So that part was definitely challenging. You know, I think we had some opportunity for improvement to do a better job before we actually rolled it out. 
um, from that perspective. And again, education and communication. I, you can never over-educate, over-communicate. Um, looking back, I think we could have done a better job setting expectations, kind of working with nursing more closely to let them know the changes that we were planning to make on a daily basis. And there were certain things that we thought nursing was aware of and were actively using. We have EPIC as our electronic health record system. So on the medication administration record, it does kind of point nursing to where the medication's coming from. So we thought that nursing used this and it, transitioning meds from med server box to automated dispensing cabinet would be something that they would pick up by looking at the MAR, but it was not a feature or function that they were really familiar with consistently looking at before we made the change. Understanding that and being able to kind of review that with them before we made the changes would have been helpful. So I, I don't know that I would have done it differently, but there were definitely some lessons learned. Point well taken. So Rich, Donna and you both have mentioned this concept of pharmacy work from home model or a work from home initiative. What are the reasons behind that? And how is pharmacy technology helping you to make that change possible? The work from home is a concept that we're not necessarily using with our pharmacists here, but we do have remote pharmacists that we use as a service, our telepharmacists that we use to kind of supplement the order entry functions, and then we can deploy our pharmacist to the bedside to do protocol management, round with physicians, and just do more cognitive pharmacy services. So, you know, that, that's how we're leveraging that. You know, just as far as other lessons learned with the switchover, something that we never anticipated, because one of the things that we were thrilled with with the uh, XR2 was that we felt like we were taking a, a safety step. As Donna mentioned, you used to have to spend a lot of a significant amount of time repackaging medications for the old robots. And a new robot actually can use unit dose medications that are available commercially. Without having to have that extra touch, we saw that as, as a huge safety step, removing a potential for error. Something we never anticipated, though, was the nursing staff had become very used to the old packaging. The, the print was big. The packages themselves were easy to handle, almost like a deck of cards. So when we started sending up those commercially available unit dose medications with the tiny print, we got a lot of pushback. <laughs> we never anticipated that. So I would put that out as a helpful hint to anybody considering the switch. The other thing that you really need that we never anticipated either was that the bags that are used by XR2, you really need to check with your document disposal company because what we were going to do with these bags, since they have patient information on them, is just put them in the um, shredder containers that we use for other patient information. And we did that initially. And then we got pushback from the vendor because they were clogging up their shredders. So we actually had to develop a new workflow for how we were going to dispose of the bags. And that involves nursing, putting the bags in a special place for pharmacy to collect and us having to put them in different bins for the vendor to pick up. So something we never anticipated and something you would definitely want to try to address before a go live. Good tip. Okay, last question is for both of you. How is the pharmacy technician labor shortage impacting your operations today? So it's very tight. I mean, fortunately, the way the automation is, like Donna, we can have one technician run the robot in the carousel and take care of those functions for the card fill for most of the day. Where you need that second technician is when you're actually loading the robot in the morning, and that is a two-person job. 
but we were able to redeploy the person that was previously doing packaging to kind of do that. But to uh, any technician position that we post now, it's taking us a long time to fill. I think the last one we had took us almost three months to fill. And unfortunately, we find ourselves having to recruit people that don't necessarily have hospital experience either. So the, the learning curve is even a little steeper, even if they're a certified technician from the retail sector. It, my opinion is that it's impeding us moving forward on some of our programs, and it's taking us longer to train people once we do get them. I would agree. Automation has definitely helped save us, but we, we have multiple open positions that have been open for a while. I think that there's a lot of competition out there as well. You know, a lot of other companies, not healthcare related, that are offering competitive wages, you know, incentive programs, tuition reimbursement, thing like this, things like that. So we definitely have been impacted. Our, our staff are, are working extra to help fill our shifts, but it, it's been a big challenge. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank each of our expert guests for a fantastic discussion. Rich Artemowitz of Cape Regional Medical Center and Donna Yao of St. Luke's University Hospital. And I'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for joining us today. For the Future of Pharmacy podcast and for OmniCell, I'm Ken Paris. Thanks for listening. This has been the Future of Pharmacy podcast, featuring the innovators transforming medication management. Until next time, don't get stuck in the clouds. The Future of Pharmacy podcast is brought to you by OmniCell.